People, it is January 22nd, 2021. I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report Direct Message. We are streaming live from Los Angeles on YouTube and on Blaze TV. And we're doing another panel show this week. We've we've done one of these and you guys dug it and I dug it. So we said we're gonna do it again because we're people pleasers around here. Joining me today for the panel are Dr. Seb Gorka, who's the former deputy assistant to the president and host of America First. I'll be on his show a little bit later today. Uh, Sean Spicer, who's the former White House communications director and host of Spicer and Company on Newsmax. I don't think I'm on that today, but I'm on all the time. And Jack Murphy, author of Democrat to Deplorable and founder of Liminal Order and a guy I've wanted on the show forever. So gentlemen, welcome to the Rubin Report. Thanks, Thanks for having me, Dave. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. All right, let's start with the doctor, Dr. Gorka, because <laughs> uh, you've got doctor in front of you, and if Jill Biden's a doctor, we're all doctors. Uh, the reason I wanted to have the three of you on, basically, is because not only did you and Sean uh, work in the administration, uh, but Jack has a similar political evolution as me. He was a Democrat for a long time. Uh, I, Jack, I, I'll let you speak for yourself, but I, basically, I think you're a conservative at this point, or at least sort of a a non-Democrat, let's say. Uh, and I thought bringing the three of you guys on to discuss what the future of this thing is would be interesting. Gorka, what do you think the future of the Republicans is? Is it is it a Trump future or are they going back to, to all the other guys? Well, I'll tell you one thing, it better not be a third party, Dave. So um, that would be a disaster. That's how we got Bill Clinton when Ross Perot ran uh, against uh, Clinton and split the conservative vote. Uh, look, I, I listened to my, my sources. Uh, I had one of the new uh, freshman congresswomen on my show, Lauren Bobbitt, who's already created quite a name for herself, who said, on, on my show, America First, this is Donald Trump's party now. I don't know what he's gonna do in 2024. I was there at Andrews Air Force Base with Sean uh, on uh, the morning of the inauguration. We saw the president, saw the first lady, and he said right there in front of us, I will, in one shape or form or another, I will be back. Now, whether he runs or not, I don't know. But for the foreseeable future, he will be the conservative kingmaker. Not only that, the MAGA movement, it's not just about him, it's about what he came to represent. It was remarkable. I, I saw it with my own eyes, so did Sean. This is a man who appealed across all class structures, across all demographics. When you go to Youngstown, Ohio, Steel Valley, and you see people from the steel industry, former Democrats whose grandparents were Democrats, screaming, you know, America first, America first, USA. That's like Reagan. And, and that, that has changed conservative politics uh, inexorably. So the, the, the GOP establishment, the Mitch McConnell type establishment, I think is dead. Yeah, God bless I'm, Donald Trump for doing that. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. And and whatever this thing becomes, it has to be bigger than one man. Sean, since uh, since he chose you at one time to to represent his thoughts, uh, Trump's thoughts, that is, to to the people, um, do you think whatever this movement now is, uh, that is that we're all being told we all have to be deprogrammed and deplatformed and the rest of it? Um, can it survive without Trump? Does it does it actually need the man or can the ideas of it survive? 
I mean, it can survive, sure, but I, I would just say that Seb's right. I mean, it, if it goes the way of a third party, that's disaster, um, and it literally guarantees a Democratic majority going forward for a generation. Parties are bigger than just ideas. They're about mechanics. They're about getting on ballots, and and, um, and we've seen this with the Green Party and the Libertarian Party, whatever. There's a reason that we have a two-party system, and part of it is just because there, there's an there's an apparatus uh, that is necessary to get on all 50 states' ballots and to be organized and, and to run the machinations of this. But to get to your question, whether he plays kingmaker or candidate, that's up to Donald Trump to decide uh, for himself. But what Trump represented is he tapped into this feeling and sediment that existed in America. And it still exists. There were 75 million people who voted for him. Um, and so if you're a smart politician, you should look at what he did and what he represented and say, hey, I get that there are people out there that think Washington ignores them, that don't think that Washington gets the issues and the concerns that they have. And I want you to tap into it. You don't need to be like Trump. Trump mm -hmm. is Trump. Let him do it. But politicians need to understand that what, what made Trump Trump was an authenticity and an understanding of the struggles that people go through. And you can't fake that. Yeah. So Can yeah. I add to something very sure. briefly? So and exactly what Sean said, let's remember one thing. I mean, quite stunning that despite the calumny, despite the libel of the last four years, where 24-7 he was called a misogynist, uh, a white supremacist, an Islamophobe, and then a Nazi, literally a Nazi, he got 10 million more votes than he did four years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's not because of Mitch. That's not because of Kevin McCarthy. That's because of Donald Trump's message. So the fact that he got more votes than any other president is the determining factor, not his personage, but the message of making America great again. So Jack, as the new guy to the party, literally and figuratively, I, I feel like you've had a pretty good handle on uh, like sort of the underbelly of the internet side of this, just what's going on that kind of average people are saying on Twitter and on YouTube and the rest of it. What do you make of the situation? Yeah, my, you know, my perspective is definitely more grassroots than these other two gentlemen for sure. And I think the first thing I want to talk about is just remembering that MAGA is an emergent network. It is a phenomenon that bubbled up from the people and, and the network elected Donald Trump to represent that network and that energy. And that energy still survives. The, the MAGA energy, the MAGA network that launched Donald Trump into power is still here. And the Democrats acknowledge that. I mean, whether or not what they did with the uh, the armed troops capital was justified on a security level or justified in their mind on an info op level, they recognize the need uh, to make a strong display uh, in the face of 75 million people who did support the president and do support that that the MAGA energy. Now, my question is, uh, to the other two panelists, to Seb and Sean here, is, you know, is Trump really in charge of the GOP? I don't see it. Uh, when when I was when I was looking at the stage in 2016, uh, looking at the primaries, I saw him defeat 17 of the GOP, but I think the GOP defeated Donald Trump while he was in office, and uh, I don't see him taking over the GOP as it stands. I still see him contra the GOP and still battling the GOP, which is really just the uniparty. And that's what the MAGA energy was all about, fighting back against the corporate uniparty in cahoots with the Democrats and the GOP establishment, plus the corporations, Black Lives Matter, and for a moment there, uh, Antifa as well. But that's so, what needs to happen here in the future, I think. 
Yeah, so that's a, a good point. It's something I've been talking about all week, that what we saw really is just that the swamp just kind of reconstituted itself, that the swamp just kind of loves itself. So, Sean, as a guy that lives in D.C., you've been around yep. the swamp for a long time. <laughs> when you see guys like Mitch McConnell sort of reconstituting the swamp and now saying maybe he'll be for impeachment, which it's like, just let the guy leave at this point. That that would be my opinion. Like, we've if there's anything that's going to be healing in this country, which I'm not sure there actually is, it's like it would start without, it would start by not doing a post-presidency impeachment. But but what, what do you make of what Jack just said there, that, that the whole machinery is still not part of what Trump is, so it's like the Republicans sort of still are against him in a way. Yeah, I think Jack's got a really good point, and that was the beauty of it, that Trump tapped into the sediment that existed out there and was able to, to harness it and, and defeat all of these folks. And, but that's my point, though, is that I think Jack's right. But if you're a smart leader, which apparently not all of them seem to be that smart, <laughs> that that they should understand that he tapped into something. Look, Seb made the point. If Trump wasn't doing what people wanted, his vote goal would go down. In fact, it went up. That would tell anybody on the Republican side, hey, he was tapping into something and it was something that was growing. So don't be a dummy. Understand how to do what he was doing to to. Uh, tap into the sediment to understand the concerns and the issues that he was championing and actually continue to move forward on them. Um, because I, I will say this, he did shape some things, though. You think about the policy on trade, right? The, the, the Republican Party has generally been fairly, you know, just unabashedly free trade. Trump made people reconsider this and say, yes, you can be for, you know, fair trade and open trade with restrictions and we're not giving the house away. This idea of putting America first made sense to people once they thought about it. But for so long, literally decades, we have been told, well, unfortunately, that's the way it has to be. Mm -hmm. What Trump showed, whether it was domestic policy or foreign policy, was like, screw that. We can actually do it a different way and achieve better results. So yeah. I, I just, I, I agree with, I will say this, that the leaders in Congress need to understand that if they want to go back to the ways that they were, they can do that. And maybe that will last for two or four years. But they are holding the water back in, in a dam that is going to crumble on them. Yeah, that I completely agree with. It's like the, the cat is out of the bag. You know, this thing has whatever is happening in this country, like no one no one buys the swamp thing anymore. Seb, if, if uh, Trump just goes to Mar-a-Lago and is just like, you know what, I gave it all I got. I got I don't want to do this anymore or or at least I don't want to run. Maybe I'll if they let me back on Twitter, I'll do what I can on that front or I'll do some public events. Um, who, who's there? Is, is there somebody that you're tracking? Is there a young star that's coming? Like who, who is on the docket? I don't see it. I, you know, I just don't see the bench. Some people talk about Cotton. Some people talk about Gates. Some people talk about uh, a Greg Abbott. I just don't see it because they're all politicians mm -hmm. to a lesser or greater extent. The re I mean, the re let's just remember one thing, what happened in 2016. Now we forget this and it's truly historic. For the first time in the Republic's history, we chose a non-politician and a non-swamp dweller. From George Washington to Barack Obama, every single one of the 44 presidents of our republic was either a retired general, a former governor, a senator, or a congressman. Mm -hmm. For the first time ever, we picked a non-politician who'd never run for public office before. And that is the future. They don't want somebody they've seen in front of the TV cameras reading from teleprompters for the last four or 16 years. And to be clear to what Jack's point, I said it when I was in the White House. I said, 
said it since I left the White House. And they don't like me in the swamp for saying it, but it is it is patently obvious that Donald Trump became president despite the GOP, mm-hmm. not thanks to the GOP. And the idea that Mitch McConnell is acquiescing to this trial of a private citizen is an outrage. And, and the establishment GOP four years later still doesn't understand what happened in 2016. And they will pay a political penalty if they don't wake up and smell the coffee grinds. Jack, what do you think is is going on in the minds of the people that are, you know, everyone's political now, which is a very bizarre thing, that everyone is hyper-political and obsessed by it all the time. And I think that's partly why everyone is so crazy and angry. But what do you make of like the people that are the new ones to politics? Like I know you went to some of the rallies. I was at the rally, a couple of them in Beverly Hills. And what I liked about it was not only that people were happy and fun, but it was clear that these are not political people. These were people who were just like, oh, there's something kind of cool and fun happening here. What do you think those people are thinking right now? Yeah, I think the I think to just follow up on what was being said recently that the Trump was defeated by the GOP in in his term while he was president. The biggest obstacle he faced was the GOP, was staffing, was having loyal people uh, to carry out his plans at any of the any of the agencies in the government. And so he lost the GOP. The GOP is still in power. The Democrats are still in power. The corporate unit party is still in power. And so who's going to be next? What's next is somebody who can bring the power that is necessary to circumvent the political parties and to capture the party in the same way that Trump did. So I would look to somebody in the future who is already bringing with them a network power, somebody that has their own built-in communications and distribution system, who understands persuasion, who has contacts across the country and every industry and has a brand. People with outside brands have to come in and take over the political apparatus in the same way that Trump did. But again, that will also lead to additional infighting and obstruction and derailment of that candidate's agenda. So that is something that we have to deal with right there, that that contradiction. Yeah, so so I'm actually with you. I'm with you on that. But so are you talking about like it's not this person specifically, but are you saying someone like it has to be someone like Elon Musk? Like it has to be like someone who is really extraordinarily connected and powerful and has done all this stuff before in terms of building I mean, things and all that? Or you mean you mean like a YouTuber? Like, like what do you actually mean? I mean, somebody that can bring the power to bear that's necessary to communicate directly with the American people, to get elected through a popular election, and then somehow be able to implement their network on top of or in place of the GOP institution. Because this it's is the crucial. institutions that are the issue. We need new yeah. networks to battle the captured institutions. Okay, this is, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Sean, go ahead. You were trying to get in there. No, I, I just I, the one thing that I was going to say that that you know, and I don't want to take this off the, off the track, but I, I think the problem with this party is that they've got to understand. And what Trump showed, I always said, what what what, what was unique about Trump is that in Washington D.C. There's three power centers, right? You have the the lobbyists, the journalists, and the sort of the the pundits and elites that have always been used to, no matter who was the next person in line, always got sucked up to. Yep. And Trump basically during the campaign said, "Listen, here's the deal. I don't need you. I don't." Need your money, and I don't need you writing about me. If you want to jump on the bandwagon, you're welcome to, but you know I don't need you. That was the first time that, frankly, anybody has said that. There is a default in the Republican Party right now that I've witnessed for 30 years, and frankly, to some degree, you know, may have 
flirted with this myself until I recognized but th- that people want to be accepted. They want the New York Times to write a puff piece about them. They want to get invited to the cocktail parties. And as soon as folks on the right recognize that that's never going to happen, and it's something that Donald Trump enlightened us on, that if we realize it's never going to happen, they will never accept us. They will never like us. They will never bring us into that fold. And that we need to be you know, okay with that and say, screw it. I don't need to do that. Once we understand that, I think we as a party can move in the right direction. But there is such a degree of the Republican Party that wants to be accepted by this left-wing elite class that rules the social circuit and the, the media circuit in D.C. Yeah. For the record, I have completely given up on being invited to nice parties. <laughs> I am I am past the point of parties and the rest of it. And I'm also locked in my house here in L.A., so that's a whole other thing. Uh, but let's let's talk about the, the social media can, component can I, of this. Can, can, I, can I just jump yeah, on this yeah, for a second? Because this is massive, massively important. I feel, I feel yeah. like I'm doing a, a Vulcan mind meld with Jack and Sean. So it, it is stunning um, that this phenomenon still exists. When, when I was in the White House and Sean and I were, were, were the weird guys, we were the oddities, <laughs> because we didn't want the establishment to say nice stuff about us. I mean, I said, you know, if the Washington Post ever says something nice about Sebastian Gorka, I'm failing. I am utterly failing because they're committed to the destruction of this president and his agenda. So, you know, they want to be loved. There were people at my rank, deputy assistant to the president, which is pretty high. There's 40 people of that rank in the U.S. in the U.S. government. We outrank three-star generals. I knew people at my rank, Dave who were never Trumpers Mm -hmm. inside the White House, who were there because they wanted to tick on the resume, but were actively trying to undermine the president. So this this question of bench and team, I mean, Jack is right that it has to be an outsider and a celebrity, but it has to be somebody who can fill 4,000 political appointments in U.S. government. So so one last thing on that, though, then is that in your opinion, Seb, is that was that Trump's fault? Like, was that his greatest fault? Is that he did not get his, rid of the right people when he was supposed to get rid of them? No, 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 no. It's not that he didn't get rid of them. He didn't have anybody to fill those positions. When we came in, I went to work the day after the inauguration, Saturday, January the 21st, 8 a.m. And, and I, you know, we came into the building and I'm not joking. It's not an exaggeration. There were about maybe 20 guys in senior positions, guys and gals, and I mean senior positions, who knew what MAGA meant, were loyal to MAGA, not the man, but to the message, make America great again, and had the wherewithal to actually make something happen. Then there was this gap, and there were like dozens and dozens and hundreds of 23-year-olds. And then there was nobody else. There was no bench. We were a small group of merry men. It was like Robin Hood's insurgency took took over the US government, thanks to the American people. And then we had to fill these positions. And what happened? And I'm going to let the, you know, the, the, the dirty laundry out here. We had to fill thousands of positions. And what happened? The bushy schlep came in and filled the vacuum. The former Bush appointees or people who weren't competent came in for those 4,000 positions. Where else would Donald Trump get the, that team? And this is a massive problem for the next four years. We must build the bench on the outside. And it can't come from these stinking think tanks of so-called elitist, you know, experts here in DC. Yeah, so that I think gets to Jack's point about you gotta have a network and you're gonna have to have done a lot of stuff before the next guy comes in. But let's talk about the, the information war here and the social media component of this because there are an awful lot of mainstream people 
right now on uh, in New York Times, CNN, Katie Couric, uh, that we've been covering all this stuff, all these people that, saying, that are saying that guys like us, we're spreading misinformation, we should be deplatformed, we should be banned, we should take out Newsmax, we should be kicked off YouTube. There was a big article now about podcasts or the next frontier on this thing that we should all be silenced. Um, Jack, I know you're, you're sort of on the ground on this thing. It's like, are, are they gonna come for everybody? I mean, we're all feeling it. January 6th was a day that sort of settled it, set it in stone, that uh, there was an insurgency. we now gone from being uh, Nazis and racists yeah. to being domestic terrorists. Uh, we know that uh, the Democrats are going to look at, not only are they, they're on an eradication mission in the first place. So they're just looking for an excuse to double down on what they wanted to do in the first place, which is to get rid of us, which is to make sure, quote, that this never happens again. And that's what that big display was around the inauguration, that the big display of force. They want to come for us. They're going to come for us. And my advice to people is to take your head off the chopping block of social media. Find a private network. Get involved. Mm -hmm. Put up a barrier between you and the rest of the people. Keep your head down and build deep roots. We are in a, a reconsolidation period, at least for this first year here, uh, coming out of the four years of Trump. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with the censorship and the online stuff. So my advice to everybody is to find a network, a private network. Build your own network. Be intentional with your relationships and your associations. Put up a wall and keep the people out that you wanna keep out and put the people inside that you wanna put inside and make sure it's based on your shared values. And I think that that is a way to at least move forward for the time being. You could call you, it something small, like locals, the right, Dave? Yeah, yeah, well, I think, I think, Jack, I think you, yeah, well, I think you mean it both, you mean it physically, like in your actual real world life, remember that real world life thing, but I think you mean yes. it also, also digitally. Sean, are you kind of worried that they could just come and take out Newsmax? It's like in the old days, it was like, all right, I'm not an independent guy, so they can take out all the small fish. They can knock out some random YouTubers. That's one thing. But now they're literally talking about going after OANN, going after Newsmax, you know, uh, getting licenses taken away and the rest of it. Do you feel like you have extra protections right now? No. I mean, I, I, if you had asked me this question, Six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, I would I would think that that was a, it was a nutty question. Uh, but in light of what's happened, the conversation that's occurred over the last seven to ten days, yeah, I'm really worried. I think we've gotten to the point where uh, I mean, the idea that you look at a network and a network that is on these you know major stations that's pulling in close to a million people a night, and and they go, yeah, we don't like what's being said. And by the way, the thing that's funny. Is is the, they never give the example. They said Newsmax is is just you know is part of the disinformation campaign. And I'm like, okay, tell me one thing that's been on my show, mm -hmm. um, you know, conversations with you and other people about news of the day that somehow be, they just don't even like the topics. They're like, but but wait, I just what I don't get though, Dave, and this is what's fascinating. Yesterday, for example, CNN 23 times said that the administration, the incoming administration, was not left a vaccine plan, none, and that they had to, quote, start from scratch. Dr. Fauci himself came out and said that that was not true. Yep. CNN just moved on. Why aren't we talking about deplatforming CNN? Well, because CNN yep. is owned by AT&T. What does AT&T own? They own Time Warner and DirecTV. These guys that hold the keys in the corporate headquarters, there is no doubt in my mind they are going to get woke over and over again to the idea of canceling out, stop allowing people to do this, cancel out advertisers. It's coming, and I am worried.
Yeah, and the best is when you see how obvious their coordination is. So the messaging coming out of CNN on all their Twitter accounts yesterday was the Trump team was handed a non-existent plan. That's what they all kept saying, but you can't be handed something that's non-existent. <laughs> I mean, that's not even, it doesn't even make any sense. On top of the fact that we know that something like 17 million people have gotten the vaccination and the states are doing a lot of it and all that stuff. Uh, Seb, I'm, I'm guessing you're worried too, although you don't strike me as a particularly nervous type of guy, but you're worried about the, the hammer dropping on, on all of us in terms of our ability to communicate. I, look, it's going to happen sooner or later, but I don't lose, lose sleep over it. You know, it's easy for me when you've got a dad who, you know, had the scars on his body till his dying day of, of the torture that the secret police did to him in a in a dictatorial regime before he escaped from a political prison. I just bring it, you bastards. Just bring it. Because sooner or later, those types of regimes, and I mean regimes, fail and when you've got 74 million people who voted for a man who believes in America, who loves America, and who believes in freedom of speech, who didn't spy on American journalists like Obama did, didn't put journalists and their sources in prison, then sooner or later, there will be a backlash. And this isn't a threat, it's a fact. I taught for six years irregular warfare and counterinsurgency for the D Defense Department. And when you silence people with true grievances, Sooner or later, something will occur. And the idea that we're going to run and hide from it is utterly un-American. And, and you're right, there is a coordination here. Remember, Michelle Obama, Michelle Obama writes a two-page letter that Donald Trump should be deplatformed. Yeah. And 72 hours later, he is deleted. He's unpersoned by Jack Dorsey. And then we see the video from the Twitter meeting, thanks to Veritas Project, saying, Jack saying, if this isn't just about one account, this is about lots of accounts, and it's going to last a long time. You've experienced it. I've lost a hundred thousand followers in ten days. Yep. But do I give up? Do we? Do we? Do we give up? No, we persevere because sooner or later, more and more Americans, even in the middle, the most Americans are apolitical, will see the fascistic tendencies of the Democrat Party and will understand what you understood when you left the Democrats, that this is not your daddy's Democrat party. This is not your granddaddy's Democrat party. And it is now a bunch of radicals who are a hostage to their own radical extremism. Well, that's a perfect segue to Jack here because you wrote the book, Democrat to Deplorable. What do you make of the people that we used to hang out with all the time? Because they're not all bad. I know they're not all bad. We all know that they're not all bad. But I have been, if there's one group that I'm just supremely disappointed with right now, it's, it's my old crew. It's the last few remaining decent liberals who I saw celebrating. I mean, many of them who've been on this show celebrating the censorship of Donald Trump. What do you make of that crew at this point? It's it's tough, man. In the 90s, you know, I, I was counterculture in Washington, D.C. I like to do underground parties and I was anti-establishment. And, and as I grew up, I think I retained that. And what I see from my old friends that are all still Democrats, they, they think they're anti-establishment, but they are the establishment mm -hmm. now. And they're and they're just not aware of the fact. And they've, they've lost all of their rebel or punk attitude that they had. And they're just towing the line. And, and truly, deep down inside, I believe that they're just not informed and that if I could, 
good. <laughs> I know it's fruitless and I know it's hopeless, but I swear if I could just just get into their head just a little bit and help them see what I see, I just feel like I'm ahead of the game. And I do believe that we did see an expansion in the Democrat to deplorable vote. There were 9 million in 2016. I believe that that group got bigger in this last election. There are people that we've seen just online on Twitter, folks that, that were anti-Trump in the first go round that, that were convinced, uh, united mostly behind being anti-woke and anti-critical race theory, et cetera. Uh, but I think what might happen and, and Seb, you use the word fascistic. I'm ready to say it is declare it is a techno corporate fascism that we live under, a uniparty united with the corporations acting in concert to silence people, to take away their human rights, the right to free speech, to unperson them, to exile them. When the government and the corporations are acting in tandem to take away your human rights, that is fascism. That is fascism. Bingo. And Bingo. we need to be talking about this more often and not in the hysterical way that the people were calling us fascists before, mm -hmm. but in a very serious clinical way. And I think, I'm hoping, maybe, and I still have an extinguished optimist in me, that that center group, that people that, that went Democrats to deplorable, the walkaway folks, that, that that is where we need to be focusing our energy as chipping people off. And here's what's going to happen, I think. There are going to be more red pills delivered to the more normal American people uh, throughout this year. And it's yep. going to come in the form of critical race theory. And it's going to come when they're attacking your children, when they're telling your eight year old yeah. daughter that she needs to sit with her whiteness and suffer because of it and renounce her her color and step aside and yield positions of power to people of color. That is when the red pilling of middle America is really going to take place. And I can see more of that coming uh, in 2021 and beyond. I, I totally hear you on that. And I actually, for, for those Dems that it's like you wanna wake them up, I think a lot of them actually are also playing a bit of a duplicitous game, which is they know how dangerous this thing is. They know it's coming for all of them, but they just don't wanna be put on the list, right? They don't wanna yeah. be thought of as one of the guys in these in these four boxes that we got here. Uh, but but all but you my know what audience, it is, Dave, Dave, Dave it's, it's, it's like what, what the thing that's interesting to me is that the folks on the left, they've always had this issue. You talk, they love to preach about the, the value and the virtue of public school, but then they send their kids to private school. Yep. All these folks on the left that are so woke, they want everything else. They just want conservatives to do that. They don't really want that themselves. I don't think that they believe that. They just want others to do it and to believe it so that they can feel good. Well, it's like it's like the healing, right? We can heal now that they got what they want. If if it had gone the other way, they would not be talking about healing. But my whole audience knows I try to I try to leave everybody at the end of a show with, with something positive so they don't feel crazy. And I I really feel like I got to give it to them on a Friday. So uh, to wrap up, Seb, I'll start with you. What's the silver lining here? What's the silver lining? The silver lining is that we're America, and we've 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 survived and persevered and and flourished through much much harder times. And every here's the real silver lining. And I get a little pissed when people DM me, send me texts and emails. I'm I've given up. That's it. America's gone. And my response, and you can take it personally if you like, because I chose this country. I'm a legal immigrant, and my response is this: despair is un-American. The founding fathers didn't do it in 1775, they took action. We didn't do it after almost 3,000 Americans were murdered in just a few minutes on Pearl Harbor. We didn't do it on September the 11th. So guys, buckle up, pull up your bootstraps, and 
understand that America is not a function of who's in the White House. America is a function of who you are and whether you are true to American values. So we can do it. We just have to be true to ourselves. Uh, I just screwed you guys because that was a nice ending. Now you're going to really have to bring it. Jack, <laughs> Jack, take it away. I'm going to give the former press secretary a moment to collect his thoughts. You know, the, the secret lining, the silver lining here is that people like us, our network, we have what's called a faster OODA loop. We can observe, orient, decide, and act, and change our course of action, and adapt, and implement our ingenuity in a way much more, much quicker, and with much more effectiveness than the other side. And so, I believe in that power. I believe that we are going to adapt and react. And one of the best benefits that I've seen is that I have been urging people, and we've been creating intentional communities of reaching out and finding people that share your values. Yep. Find common values and build with them build a community, build a network, live, work, and play with people that share your values. They don't even have to live next door to you anymore. Take advantage of the connectivity and reach out and find those people, a renaissance of intentional communities across America as we OODA faster than the enemy and we make our way towards the next round of elections. I know one of these right-wing maniacs is building something called Locals.com that's doing just that. I forget his name. Crazy guy, <laughs> crazy guy. All right, Sean, former press secretary, Give everybody something on a Friday. Boom. Uh, all right, I'm going to dovetail off both of them. I will tell you two things. One is when I was out doing Dancing with the Stars initially, it scared the heck out of me because I was sitting in L.A. And, and uh, it I scared thought, us, Sean. It scared yeah, us. Yeah, I, I, I was getting to that. Um, a, I was like, wow, I'm really bad at this. And two, I'm in a place where they probably hate my guts. And what I realized in that show was that I needed to stop thinking that that was the case because, as you saw, I advanced to the quarterfinals of a show where I was horrible. But people rallied. There are more people every time that you think that we're the 20 percent. If you look at the vote that Donald Trump got, we're still the 50 percent. We're there. And we've got to stop thinking that we're this minority and that there's nobody else out there. When I told people about how important the Georgia election were, and this dovetails on what Seb was saying, people go, I'm giving up, I'm giving up. Too much is at stake. There are plenty of us. If we mobilize and do what Jack's talking about, get out there, not be afraid of what we stand for, fight for our values and mobilize, we can win. Stop being a bunch of babies that are negative about the opportunity and the options in the, op in the future. There is enough of us that believe in conservative values and principles that if we get out there and we fight hard, and we explain why our principles and values are better for this country and our families and our communities, we will win. But the second that we give up and the second that we let them cancel us, they win. Not bad, man. You, you had a high bar and mainstream- I Googled it. I, I Googled that. That was Biden's speech back <laughs> then. <laughs> mainstream political thought has been dumbed down to the point that your analogy about Dancing with the Stars actually makes complete sense to me. It really does. It's like you just got to do it and you see who comes along. Guys, I really enjoyed this. I hope you did too. We're going to do plenty more of these, so I hope you'll join us again. I'm going to let you guys go and then I'm going to I'm going to finish up solo here. Have a great day, guys, and uh, I'll see I'll see you soon. All right, everybody, uh, I hope you enjoyed that. I, I really like these. I feel like the energy is good. We'll keep trying to mix up the panelists. 
And yes, I promise you, I will try to get more people on the left and I will try to get more centrist and everything else. Um, but I do want to address that exact point for just a moment because I know it seems, oh, here he had these right-wing conservatives on, right? And okay, it's more right-wing conservatives. But what I'm really starting to believe, and I've been saying this for quite some time, and, and I think it was partly why I was supporting Trump, who I liked the ideas of maybe more than the man himself, was that the stuff that we just talked about, did any of that seem extreme to you? Did any of that seem dangerous to you? Did any of that seem like things that were promoting misinformation or disinformation or that were against America or your freedom or any of those things? The answer is no. So what's really odd is when people say, okay, well, we should, we should all be more in the center. I think in essence what's happened is that conservatives basically are the new center. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to be conservative like, oh, here are the 10 conservative things and you have to absolutely be all these things. As you know, guys, I'm begrudgingly pro-choice and I make that argument in my book. That is definitely not something that is thought of as conservative. I'm against the death penalty. Uh, that is not something that is thought of as conservative. Um, there are some conservatives that are not uh, okay with gay marriage. I'm married to a gay dude. I mean, there are some things. And yet I absolutely would consider myself a new conservative. So I think, I think there's sort of a misnomer that you know, everyone that had anything to do with Trump or that's on any of these channels or on Fox News, that that's somehow far right. It's, it's, very, it's ultra, you know, this new ultra conservative, these are Nazis and terrorists and the rest of it. And I actually think it's most of us. I think it's most of us that just want to live free and want to agree to disagree and find some people to talk to. So I promise you, I will continue to find people that are say more left of me or more in line with some of this stuff or that are Biden supporters or if there's anyone on the, at the administration that wants to talk to me, we'll, we'll reach out. By the way, we reached out to the Trump people and we'll continue to reach out to, uh, to, to people at the Biden administration and all that. Um, but I do think that in a weird way, what we just did is the new center. But I'd love to know your thoughts on it. So let me know at rubenreport.locals.com. And I really do think that Jack is correct. Whether it's online or real life, the answer to this is figuring out what your networks are. And, and not being so reliant on big tech, not being so reliant on all the things that have always existed because they're failing, right? Social justice and all of this stuff is infecting all of these things and that's why everything's kind of crumbling. So figure out what your local communities are. I mean, it's, when I open that freaking app, the Rubin Report app, the Locals app, and I go into that community, it's like there are, there are now thousands of great people and they're communicating. There are people who've gone on dates. There are several people who've now invested in Locals and work for us and we, we've hired other people and a whole bunch of other stuff. There's really cool stuff going on, but I'm not making a sales pitch for that. Whatever your local community is that you care about, whether it's in your town or online, like find it. And that's, that is how we'll strengthen each other and get through this craziness. Uh, reminder, my interview with Jason Riley from the Manhattan Institute uh, is up right now, and he just put out a fantastic documentary that actually debuts this weekend about Thomas Sowell, and yours truly makes a cameo or two in it, and they use some of our interview with Dr. Sowell. It's really, it's really a wonderful thing, and his book on it is coming out in a month or two, and that's it. Maybe don't be ultra-political this weekend. Go out, hang out with people. If you're here in LA, do something illegal, like have dinner with friends, and uh, I'll see you guys on Monday.